0: Every Sunday you come in and there are happy gentlemen at the door who are handing you out sheets of paper. And on the inside you may or may not read what's there. Sometimes because something is printed more than two or three weeks in a row you may tend to, um, well you may tend to just kind of put it to the side and, and not really think about it. But this morning I want to call your attention to something that we print in there every week because we want to keep it before your faces. And that is our church mission statement. It says this very simply, Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our lives are meant to bring God glory. And God is glorified in us when we are at the center of His will. That's true individually, but it's also true as a church. And as a church, if we want to be in the center of God's will... It means we need to be on mission with Him. We need to be hearing God's call to us and following that call. Jesus made that call very, very clear. When He said in Matthew 28, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always." To the very end of the age. The church is not just about coming together on a Sunday, hearing a message, singing some songs, rejoicing that our names, at least, are written in the Lamb's book of life, and then going home. Being the church means that we are on mission with God, reaching out to those who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord sharing with them the hope that we have, the hope of salvation, the hope of eternity. And then as we're compelled by Christ's love, calling them to receive the gift that we ourselves have received. In other words, we who are on this journey of faith, we're commanded to call others to join us on the journey. It is not just our road we travel. It is a journey of faith, and we want to call others to it as well. Now, the journey of faith begins with a step of faith. This journey begins with a step. For many of you, that step is deeply ingrained in your minds. It was a dramatic experience for you. For those of you who grew up in church, you've heard the expression, a Damascus Road experience. It is that experience of Saul who encountered Christ in a powerful way so that it literally blinded him physically so that he could see spiritually. It was a dramatic thing. There was lights and sounds and some of you had that experience you recognize the your depravity you recognize the gravity of your sin you recognize just how lost you were you'd been you'd wandered far from god your life was way off the course and then something happened there was a moment in your life when as dramatic as a lightning bolt You surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ. It is just emblazoned on your mind. You could never forget that moment. You can see the sights. You can smell the smells. You know the day. You know the moment. But for others of you, coming to Christ, that step of faith was was far gentler, far more tender. You never grew up in rampant rebellion against God and the ways of God. You grew up in a church environment. You grew up hearing the teachings of Christ, hearing the gospel over and over. You heard it in vacation Bible school, in Sunday school, in Bible studies. You heard it from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. You heard it in your own home. And at some point in your life, instead of a dramatic leap of faith in a lightning bolt experience. You heard the gospel. You were enveloped by the warmth of the Holy Spirit. And you very easily, gently surrendered your life to Jesus. Now, those are some hugely different experiences. One dramatic on the other hand. One very gentle and tender on the other hand. But I got to tell you, both are real. If you've been around church for any length of time, you may have been to a revival service or somebody may have given you a tape or a CD to listen to somebody who was, you know, formerly in the mob, and then they came to Christ. Spent 50 years in prison, and then they came to Christ. You know, was, was an abusive, alcoholic father, and then they came to Christ. And you hear these stories, and you go, man, what's wrong with me? I didn't have anything like that. My experience doesn't mirror that. I was never way out here on the fringe somewhere. I, was always, I wasn't always a believer, but I was always right outside the door. My experience must not be valid. You need to understand your experience is valid. All conversions, all of those occasions where we come to Christ share something dramatic in common. We are translated from death to life. We are brought from darkness into light. We move from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. Here's what the Bible says about it, whether it's dramatic or gentle. Here's what the Bible says about our experience. In fact, what Jesus himself said in John chapter 3. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, that is, physical birth, and the spirit, that is, spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it, from where it is or, or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit our spiritual journey begins with a step of faith and whether that step is dramatic or simple whether it comes with a lightning bolt or being enveloped by the spirit of god when we take this step we become a new person we are born again born anew born of the spirit and i tell you that is dramatic that is incredible and that is life-changing now we dedicated some children up here some of them very small we are kind of acquainted with what happens with with kids we're not born and then we pop out of the womb and automatically go lace up our sneakers and get in line for the marathon I'm, i'm assuming that's not the way it happens it's not it's not the norm anyway no we understand that this this is a process This child is born fairly helpless. As an infant, they just kind of lie around. They need to be waited on all along. But there comes a point as they become more active, they've gone past just simply rolling over, which, you know, new parents, when the child rolls over, you you take pictures, you call everybody, uh, you put it on the Internet, on Facebook, hey, rolled over today. But after a while... They begin to scurry up on hands and knees and begin to crawl. And then before you know it, they're, they're holding up on something and, and they take that first step. And then it's not long after that that they're not just toddling around the house, they're running wide open around the house. It's a process. It's not instantaneous and it doesn't happen on its own. Unlike many of the other creatures of the wild, You see that they're born, and very shortly after that, they're up on their feet. We're not like that. God didn't design us like that. And I think he didn't design us like that on purpose. So that we could learn nurture. We could learn the process of growth. Because what is true physically is also true spiritually. And it's also true that we'll fall a lot. Whether we're crawling, walking, or running, there are going to be times when we fall, and we'll need someone to pick us up. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we're actually going to begin to consider our life as a journey, as really as a race, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter twelve. We're going to look at Philippians three, but but today we want to we want to focus on the beginning of the race. The very getting out of the starting blocks, that first step that takes you from being a spectator to being on God's course for your life. It's a very simple message, a very Christ-centered message, a very gospel-centered message that begins with God's desire for you. That's where we want to start. You see, God does love you, and he has a plan for your life. God has a desire for you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason Jesus hasn't come back already is because God is patient, and he is not wanting any to perish, but everyone to repent. God wants you to repent, to turn away from sin, and to turn to Him. God wants you to be His beloved child. God has no desire. You need to understand this. God has no desire to see you spend eternity in hell apart from Him. That's not what God wants, desires for your life. And so God loves you. And he calls you to himself. He calls you into relationship with him. He calls you to come to him. But we have a serious problem. If that were all the story, we could go home, slapping each other on the back, happy. But we have a serious problem. Even though God wants us to inherit eternal life, to have a relationship with him now and forever in heaven, we have a problem, and that problem is sin. Sin, if we look at all the definitions of the Bible and kind of lump them together, sin basically is a deviation from God's standard. And God's standard is righteousness. When we deviate from righteousness, it is sin. When we do things based on our own thinking, on our own efforts without God included, it is sin. When we fall short of the glory of God, it is sin. In fact, None of us can measure up to the standard of righteousness. No one. The Bible states it clearly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I don't know what all means in your your dictionary. But in my dictionary, it means all. Every one of us. None excluded. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if it were a matter of comparing yourselves to other people, you could do that and feel pretty good about yourself most of the time. I mean, you can always find somebody worse than you. When we compare ourselves to other people, we can come out feeling okay about ourselves. I used to do this with my mother. I'd get it, it's Mother's Day, I might as well bring her into it. My mother would kind of fuss at me about doing something, and I would say, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing over there. At least I'm not, you know, doing this. At least I'm not doing that. I could always find someone else to compare myself to and come out looking pretty good. But biblically, we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And none of us come out smelling too good then. Because Christ was holy. Christ was perfect. And no matter how good I might be on my best day, I cannot compare to holiness and righteousness. Prophet Isaiah says this about our sin. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Iniquities is another word for sin. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear you. Sin separates us from God. Now, God wants us to be in right relationship with Him. He loves us, but He hates our sin. I mean, He hates our sin, it is an affront to Him. And the Bible says that because of our sins, we are God's enemies. That because of our sins, we are alienated from God. And the sad thing is, you and I can't do anything to fix it. Oh, we try. I'll do better. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll leave this habit behind and add a new habit. I'll spend 30 minutes a morning reading the Bible. God, let me me see if I can fix my issues let me see if I can fix myself put myself back together again but tragically we can't do that we can never do enough good to counterbalance even one sin the prophet Isaiah speaking about God's view on the matter said this and we need to get this all our righteous acts are like filthy rags now you think about this the very best you can do on your best day, when compared to the holiness of God, is like a pile of filthy rags. We're not talking about the times when you're really, 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 really bad. We're talking about the times when you're really, 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 really good. Even that, compared to the holiness of God, you come up way short. It's like filthy rags. That's a big problem, and that is the human problem. But before we go out of this place with our jaws dragging on the ground, thinking there is no hope, let me share with you God's gift for us, a gift that God has given to us. When I was a little child, I learned about Humpty Dumpty. I thought, well, it's a cute little nursery rhyme. Taught it to my children. But as I got older, I began to understand that Humpty Dumpty had real meaning for my life. Not that I'm getting round like an egg. But the fact that Humpty Dumpty fell and cracked. And that all the king's horses and all the king's men, the very best that could be rounded up, couldn't put Humpty together again. And poor Humpty couldn't put himself together again. He was in a mess. That is our plight because of sin. That is a description of our lives because of sin. We are broken. We are shattered. We are hopeless and helpless. But listen to what the Bible says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. While we were still broken and shattered at the base of the wall, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to put our lives back together again. He didn't wait for us to get out the spatula and the duct tape and try to put ourselves in some semblance of rightness one more time. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we had purged the sin from our lives and achieved some kind of human perfectionism. He didn't wait until we abandoned all of our bad habits and replaced them with all new good habits. If God had waited until we got ourselves right, you and I would be in some big trouble. But God, while we were hopelessly broken and submerged in our sin, sent His Son to die for us. We need to understand that it is not because we have gotten ourselves straight enough that God loves us and receives us. Jesus died for us while we were still lost. Now, having heard that, let's think for a moment about our response to it. What should be our response to this great gift that God has given to us? Knowing that God wants a love relationship with us while we're here on this earth and wants to give us a home in heaven that lasts forever, knowing that sin separates us from that love relationship with him and knowing that the links knowing the links to which god went in order to save us from our sin sending his own son to die for us what should we do you may have heard it a thousand times but i'm going to ask this morning pray this morning that you hear it again with new ears and a new heart sometimes familiarity breeds neglect. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God knew all too well that you could not get to him. He knew that your best efforts would always fall short of holiness. And instead of writing you off as hopeless, he had compassion on you. Instead of striking you off his list because... You were a a helpless sinner. He loved you and he acted. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for your sins. And he opened the way to life eternal through the resurrection of his son. And now a door stands open to you. There is a threshold before you and a call to take a step of faith. For some of you, a huge step. For others of you, a much smaller step, but in no way is it an unimportant step. What God wants to do is to start you on a journey. It says a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Well, the journey to eternity with God begins with a single step of faith. And I believe with all my heart that there is someone here today, perhaps many someones, who need to take that step of faith. So what do you do? The Bible gives us a simple answer. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's not a might there. There's not a, well, there's a pretty good chance you could be. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, listen, this begins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It is not simply enough to say it with your mouth. That's important, but it's not enough. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but won't enter into the kingdom. It is not simply a matter of, okay, I've checked that off my list. I've said, Jesus, is Lord, now I'm moving on to bigger and better things. You see, what we express from our mouths must begin in our hearts that we believe, that we trust in, that we cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no one else who has ever done anything to save me. There's no one else who's ever done anything that could save me other than Jesus himself. It is an act of faith. Now, faith seems like a confusing thing, but you understand faith. You exercise it every single day. You came in here and you sat in this chair this morning. It was an exercise of faith. I saw none of you pick up the chair, turn it upside down, check the screws, check the legs to make sure they were okay. Kind of, Could you come over here and sit on this before I do? I just want to make sure it's going to hold me up. You came in, you sat down. It's faith. You put your full weight on it, trusting it to hold you up in a spiritual sense. I'm calling you to do the same thing with Christ. To trust Him enough to put your whole weight onto Him. To say, I believe that what you did for me on the cross is enough. That when you said, it is finished, you meant it. It was done. It was complete. My salvation is in you. I trust in no one else and nothing else other than you. Place your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But I'm going to call you to take a second step. And that is to publicly declare that faith by identifying yourself with Jesus' body, that is the church. Nowhere in the New Testament is there evidence of Lone Ranger Christians. When a person came to know Christ, he or she was immediately brought into the family of faith. If you're out there trying to do it on your own, i got to tell you, You don't need to be out there doing it on your own no more than when Jake was born. Did Tommy and Tracy give him a a lunchbox and send him on his way? He needed a family. He needed nurture. And if you are a child of God, born again, you need the family of God. And finally... Begin to grow in your faith. And I I just want to give you some encouragement to grow in your faith because you were never meant to be stagnant. You were never meant to be stunted in your growth. God has some great plans for your life. First of all, I want to encourage you to consider becoming a part of a grace group. A grace group is a small group of believers who know you and who love you anyway, who pray for you, who study the Bible with you, who find ways to apply God's Word in your life. who who are a part of your life, interwoven with your life, and who can help hold you accountable. I want to encourage you, if you have not plugged into that smaller group of believers, you need that. I want to encourage you to read your Bible every day. You say, but Pastor, I don't have a Bible. If you'll see me after the service, I'll fix that. You need to have God's Word in your hand. You need to have God's Word going into you and, and living in your heart. You need that. You need to begin to read a little bit in your Bible every day. You need to be praying some every day. You say, well, Pastor, I'm kind of new at this. I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk to me. You know how to talk to God. Prayer is simply sharing with God what's on your heart and listening for what's on His. It's the same thing we do when we have conversations. And then finally, tell others about it. Tell others what God has done for you. Share what God has done for you and call them to take that same step that you've taken you see we're all running this race but we run it together and you need help and there's a whole great group of folks right here who would love to come alongside you and run alongside you and help you in this race of life many have been where you are most have endured the same temptations that you've endured we've got some seasoned veterans on the track who can run alongside you who know the challenges, the temptations, and the struggles. And so my call to you this morning is to take that step of faith. You stand today at the threshold, at the starting line. The journey, your spiritual journey, begins with a step. Take that step of faith.